don't be a loser. Um, I wasn't entirely how not to be a loser, but um, don't be a loser. That's my title of my message this morning. And let's just pray and ask God's help as we come to his word. Father in heaven, thank you for the prayers that have gone up today. Thank you for your worship. Thank you, God Almighty, that we are here, Lord, because, Father, you are so great. Father, I drove up here today and saw so many people heading for the shopping malls, heading for the boot sales, heading for bike rides, Lord. The parks are going to be full, but, Lord, the the most important thing for us to do is to seek your face. Your face, oh God, I seek. And I pray, oh God, as we look at um, this message this morning, that God, you will speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, don't be a loser is the um, title of my message. I hope not to keep you too long. I realize it's quite warm where you're sitting, so I'm just hoping that we can move quite smoothly through the next um, three points. Um, But we've been looking at kings in the Old Testament. We looked at King Saul one week, then we moved on to King David, then we move on to King Solomon. But now we come on to this king, a king called Rehoboam. He is actually Solomon's son. And we want to look at him because this man managed to lose a kingdom in three days. I mean, a kingdom that took 80 years to build, this one man lost it in three days. And you know, when I was looking at that, you know, there's a number of people who've lost huge amount in a short period of time. Especially famous boxers. Some of you might know a guy called Leon Spinks. Well, Leon Spinks beat Muhammad Ali in 1978. That's why we might know his name. But he earned four and a half million pounds during his boxing career. I looked him up this morning, and he's homeless in New York. Lost everything. Well, how about Evander Holyfield? Another big name that we all are familiar with. Evander Holyfield was one of the champions of boxing, he earned an estimate of 250 million pounds in his career. A few years ago, he went bankrupt. Or how about the name that we all know? Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson earned 400 million pounds in his boxing career. And with a short, in a short space of time, Mike Tyson lost the whole thing. And so we have this man, King Rehoboam. These boxers are not the first one to lose everything. We go back into the Old Testament and here is a man, a king. A man who's a son of the wisest man that ever lived. The son of Solomon. Here we have A king who loses everything in three short days. Well, your father, your mother might be a 
wise to become a Christian. But because your father and mother were wise to become Christians does not mean that you will follow in their wise footsteps. Let's look at this king, let's look at how he managed to lose a kingdom in three days. First thing I want to say about King Solomon, um, I want to talk about servant, because here we see Solomon, his father, I'm giving you a bit of background here, his father Solomon was a builder. This man, he built tremendous buildings. He built himself a palace that was huge and and wonderful. He built a temple for God. A huge, magnificent temple that he built. He built gardens. And you know, all, all of these buildings not only cost a lot of money, but they cost a lot of labor. Men and women had to work really, really hard in order to build these lavish buildings for King Solomon. And so when King Solomon died and Rehoboam comes to power, the people come to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, with a very simple request. Let's look at their request. What do they ask? This is their request. Your father put a heavy yoke on us. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us. And we will serve you. That's all they said. Listen, Solomon built palaces and temples and gardens. And he put a heavy yoke on us. But now he's dead. You know, if you just lighten it a little bit. If you make our our, our workload a little bit easier. You know what? We will serve you. And King Roboam, he does a good thing. He, he turns to some of the men on his right. These men were older men. These men had a, worked with his father. These men were, were, were well set in their, in their in, they knew stuff. They were a bit grey and a bit old around the edges. A bit like myself as I stand here this morning. And he turned to them. And he said to them, what shall I do? What shall I do? And look at, the today, look at their advice. Their advice was this. They replied, if today you will be a servant of these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. These men said something really profound. These men said something really, really wise. They turned around and said, if you, the king, become a servant to these people, that's what they say. If today you will be a servant and serve these people. Now when I read that, I thought, that's a strange thing. Can you imagine our queen the Queen of England serving you? Can you imagine waking up Sunday morning and to a smell of egg and bacon downstairs and there's the Queen frying up your breakfast while you're sleeping? And then you look out your window and someone's washing your car. You go, who's washing my car? And it's Kate Middleton. 
and she's washing your car for you. And then you look at your back garden and you hear the lawnmower going on and, and you look at this and there's Prince Andrew lowing your lawn. Your, 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 your lawn. You would think this is crazy. What is the world family doing in my house in the first place anyway? It's crazy because you don't expect royalty to serve in that way. And so these old men, they say something quite deep, quite profound. They said to the king, if you will be king, you must be their servant. And that's strange to us, but it's not strange to the New Testament. You see, Jesus Christ says something. Look what he said. Go to the New Testament. This is Jesus speaking. He said, who is greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is not the one who's at the table. That's a greater one. But I am among you. This is Jesus speaking. I am among you as one who serves. Isn't this the Christ? Isn't this the king of glory? When he came into Jerusalem, didn't we hear these words? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't this Jesus? What does he mean that he is among us as one who serves? What does he mean? You might remember when um, in the Last Supper, Jesus got up and he wrapped a towel around himself. And he began... To wash the disciples' feet. Their smelly, horrible, dusty, dirty feet. Jesus got on his hands and knees with a bucket of water and he began to wash their feet. And when he got to Peter, Peter cries out, No! You shall never wash my feet. Well, why did he say that? Because he knew that the person who was kneeling down before him was a king. He realized that the person kneeling before him was the Christ. And yet, this one was washing his feet. Well, we only need to go to the cross, don't we? When we go to the cross... We see people crying out to, to Jesus. Look what they're saying on the cross. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He is he's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, they cried. You know, the reason why Jesus did not come down. He could have done, you know. He was on the cross. There was the people mocking him. There were the people telling him, if you're a king, come down. He could have come down. Do you know why he stayed on that cross? Because he was serving you. That's why. He could have come down. He could have said, you know, stuff all this. I'm dying here. I'm, I'm bleeding here. And all these people think I'm not the king. I'm coming down from this cross. But he did not do it. Because if he did, there will be no forgiveness for you. There will be no peace with God for you. 
There will be no Holy Spirit that will fill you and take you to the next level. There will be nothing that of God, no heaven, no glory, no peace, nothing. If Christ had to come down from the cross, there will be only hell and destruction for all of us. But he stayed on the cross because he was serving you. That is the king. There's no other king like him. Look, the world over, check out all the kings you can ever imagine. And every king serves themselves. But there was one king and this king stayed on the cross because he was serving And he ain't finished serving yet. He's not finished. You say, well, how do you mean? How do you mean he's not finished? Well, the Bible turns around and tells me that he's at the right hand of God. And what's he doing there? He's interceding for us. You mean Jesus is praying for me? You mean Jesus calls my name to God? You mean Jesus is praying for me right now? Yes. He is still serving you. He is still praying for you. He is still mentioning your name before God. You're still very important to him. But you might tell me, well, I don't like Jesus. I'm not involved in Christianity. I don't want to be a Christian. Doesn't matter. He still is serving you. Ain't finished yet. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And these old men in Rehoboam day, they spoke about a king that was coming in the future. They spoke about a king who will serve. And they told Rehoboam, if you want to be the right king, if you want to be a good king, then be a servant king. That's it. And I want to tell you this morning, Jesus Christ is, even though he's a king of kings, the king of glory, the king of Israel, He's your servant this morning. That's why you're here. That's why you can say, I know I'm going to heaven. That's why you can say, I know my sins are forgiven. That's why you can turn around and say, I know that I'm a friend of God. Why? Because the king has served me well. And his death has wiped out all my transgressions, all my sins. That's the first thing I'll say. The serving king. Well, this king Rehoboam, he heard that. These old men told him, if you want to be a good king, be a servant. So the next thing I want to talk about then is choices. Because the king turns around and he wasn't very, too ha- he wasn't very happy with that answer. You know, it's amazing, you know, if you ask somebody for advice and you're not happy with it, you ask someone else. Until you get the answer that you really want, the advice that you really want. Well, he wasn't very happy with that answer. You know, he's like, oh, you know. He would turn to some of the young guys. So, so the Bible says, but Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men who had grown up with him and were serving him. So he turned around to the young guys and, you know, they were like him. You know, they had the same style and the, the same haircut and the, the same interest in, in, in music and, and he turned to them and he said oh, you know these old men gave me some advice but, but what do you say and he turned to the younger men and they gave them their advice, well, what, what was their advice well here it is, the young men who had grown up with him replied these people have said to you 
Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. So they turned to the younger men. They asked the younger men, what do you say? You know, sometimes new is not always better, you know. Sometimes people buy a new house and they move into a new house and they have more problems with a new house than they do have with the old house. Some people buy a new car and they have more problems with a new vehicle than they did with their, their old vehicle. Some women swap in their old husbands for new ones. Only to find that the new one is worse than the old one. Old men swapping their wives for new wives. Only to find that their new wives are crazy. They can't get can't wait to get rid of them. You know, old, new is not always better. And this king thought the new advice is going to be far better than the old advice. You know, we don't like old. Old advice, old things, we don't like it. We like new and fresh and, 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 and new thought and new ideas. But what does God say? This is what God says. Here's a verse that most of us won't have heard of, but it's there in the Bible. It's a great verse. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Ask. This is what the Lord speaking. This is what God says. God says, stand at the crossroads and ask a question. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. It seems to me that in life, on life's journey, you will always come to a crossroads. And you always will ask the question, which way should I go? I always used to like watching when I was younger, I always used to like watching The Wizard of Oz when I was small. Some of you know the story, you know, Dorothy's on her way to the, celest- to the celestial city, now to the em- Emerald City. And, and, and as she goes, she comes to a crossroads and, and there's a scarecrow standing there. And she's, she's wondering which way to go and the scarecrow is giving her all different directions. That is a picture of life. You come to a crossroads. And while you're there, you think to yourself, you know, which way should I go? And when you come to church, sometimes being at church, it's often a crossroad. There's a spiritual message. There's a man preaching and he's giving you a time to make a decision. And you can ask the question, which way should I go? And the older men are saying, hey, you see the ancient path? 
You see the old way? It's good. Take the ancient path. Take the old way. It looks a little bit narrow and it looks a little bit bumpy. But it looks a little bit old, but it's tried and it's tested. And if you go down that road, you will find rest for your soul. But the younger generation will say, hold, hold on, not so fast. Not so fast. Surely there's another way. Have you considered other possibilities? Have you considered new ways? Surely there is something else. And like these young men in Rehoboam's day who turn around and say, oh, no, no, there's another way. The young people today and men and women today are from that sort of elk. They will turn around and say, you know, that's to be too narrow. Come on. Eat, drink, and be merry. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know if you're going to live tomorrow. So live for today. Don't worry about consequences. Don't worry about making mistakes. We all make mistakes. Just go down another road. You don't need to be so careful. What do you mean? Take the ancient path. Don't the word ancient sound old to you? Don't. Thinking about. Going down a way that an old man told you to go to. Don't you think that's a bit dangerous? No, 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 no. The philosophy of today is whatever you do, don't go down the ancient paths. Go down somewhere else. And it's a sad fact that our generation, with all their advice, They seem to have no morals in our generation. Very little integrity in our generation. You look at the large crowds. Large crowds are following the modern thought. And the modern thought is me, me, me. I, I, I. Go down the road and look after number one. That is the modern thought. And the whole world is going down the wide road. But God says, ask. Ask for the ancient paths. And if you ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and you walk in it, you will find rest for your souls. That's in the Old Testament. And then Jesus Christ steps into the New Testament. And he steps into the New Testament in the Gospel of John and he cries out and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You don't need to go to any other way, any other gate, any other door. No, no, no. I am the way. I am the door. If you come through me, you will find rest for your souls. Don't need to put it up there, right behind me. I am the way. You know, Rehoboam had a choice. He could have listened to the old men. And the old men said, if you become a servant king, then your kingdom will still be yours. 
If you become a king, like the one that's going to come in the New Testament, you see down there, Jesus is coming and he is a servant king. If you be like him, you will be a good king. He had a choice. But instead, he turned to the young men. Those who've grown up with him. And they turned around and said to him, no, 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 do it our way. What are you going to do this morning? Are you at crossroads this morning? You're at crossroads all the time. All the time. First, the first crossroads you can be at is whether you become a born-again Christian. Give your life to Christ. Turn from sin and worship the Lord. That is one of the, the, the biggest crossroads you will ever have in your life. Am I going to follow Christ or am I going to follow my own selfish? Self-centered way. That is the biggest crossroad you will ever face. But even as a Christian, you will still come across crossroads. Am I going to spend time seeking God? Am I going to be a man who loves prayer? Am I going to be a woman who wants to honor God in my life? I'm at a crossroad. What am I going to do? You can always walk down the ancient paths. Even as a Christian. Ask. Pray, Lord, what is your way? What do you want me to do? Because the way that you choose will always, always, always be good. Let's move on. And my last and final point, and then we can close this message. And Let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about judgment. Because King Rehoboam, he did not listen to the wise advice of the older men. And because he didn't listen, he told them, go away, come back in three days, and I'll give you my answer. Well, three days they came back, and they came back to the king and said, king, well, what is your answer? And he answered, and the king gave the answer of the young men, which was, I'm going to make your life harder. That is what the answer he gave. And so... um, he lost the kingdom. There was 12 tribes that made the kingdom. Um, and, and it was the Israel and Judah. Israel had 10 tribes and Judah had two. And, and, and now the kingdom was split like that. 12 tribes were split. 10 went away from the king and two stayed with him. 10 of the biggest tribes with great men, great fighters, great soldiers, left the king and formed Israel. And there was the two tribes that formed Judah, split. The guy lost a whole kingdom in three days. Why? Why did that happen? That's the question you need to ask. Surely this is God's people. Why did it happen? Why was there a split like that? Why? I'll tell you why. The king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from the Lord. God did it. Why did God do it? He did it because Solomon, if you remember last week, Solomon, who had all these wives, remember? 700 of them? Solomon's heart didn't turn to God. His wives 
turned his heart away from God. And God was so angry that Solomon, who God poured out wisdom and God poured out wealth and God poured out health onto Solomon. His heart was turned away from God and God gave a judgment. This is what God said to Solomon. He said this. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Because you have acted this way, because your attitude to me is one of contempt, you're worshipping other gods, you're loving your wives more than you're loving me, well, because that is your attitude, I am going to tear the kingdom away from you. God judged Solomon. And that's what happened. God tore the kingdom away from him. When God judges, when God says he's going to do something, you know he is going to do it. I want to say that again. When God says he's going to do something, then he's going to do it. And there you have it here. Years ago, God told Solomon, I'm going to do this. I'm going to rip the kingdom from you. And years went by and nothing happened. And then Rehoboam comes to power. And what did God do? God does what his word said he was going to do. God judged Rehoboam and ripped the kingdom from him. Whatever God says he's going to do, believe me, he will do it. And so we come to the New Testament. And Paul picks this up over in Romans. And Paul says this. This will take place on a day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. As my gospel declares. God will judge the secrets of men. And I can hear someone say, hold on. Hold on. I thought you said the gospel was good news. I thought you said that the gospel was good news. That, you know, God um, will, will love me and God will accept me. God will have me in his kingdom. God will not judge me. What do you mean that God will judge my secrets? I've got secrets that no one else knows, you know. I've got things in my life that not even my, my, my close friends know. Not even my husband or my wife knows. I've got things in my life that is so secret, only I know. What do you mean that God's going to judge my secrets? I don't like that. That's not good news. Whether you like it or not, God told Solomon he would judge him. And that's exactly what God did. The wonderful thing that you need to remember is that Jesus Christ is called the friend of sinners. That's what he says. His enemies called him that. We read it. The son of man came eating and drinking and they said, here's a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You know, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And yes, 
you have secrets that God's going to judge through Jesus Christ. But guess what? Jesus is your friend now, or can be your friend now. You can take your secrets. Don't wait for them to be exposed at the judgment seat. Don't wait for them to be exposed when you are, 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 are still, um, when, you're, when, when you're dead and in the ground. No, don't wait for that time. No, you can come to the Lord now and say, Lord, here's my secrets. Here's my sins. Here's the things that I'm ashamed of. Here's the things that I have done that no one else knows. And Lord, I'm coming to you this morning and I'm saying, forgive me. He's a friend of sinners. And he will take that sin. And I like what the Bible turns around and says. The Bible says, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. No more. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, God is going to judge every secret of men. Whatever you have kept hidden and kept Push to one side and hope that time will forget all about it. God will bring it all out into the open. And nothing will be hidden, the Bible says, before the eyes of God. Your secret will be open and laid bare before him. And he will judge you on that. But if you come to Christ now and say to him, Lord, I heard that you're a friend of sinners. I've heard that you're a friend of tax collectors. I heard that you are a friend of men who have rebelled against God. I'm coming to you now where I still have breath in my body. I'm coming to you now and I say, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I want to tell you this morning, the Lord will deal with your sin now. So when you stand on the judgment seat of Christ, all you will hear is well done. My good and faithful servant. And you will say, hold on, Lord, don't you remember my sin? Don't you remember my my guilt? Don't you remember my secrets? Don't you remember what I did, Lord? The Lord said, no. According to my word, their sin and their iniquity, I will remember no more. Come in. Well done. You're my friend. Why? Why? Because you are my friend, not just at the judgment seat, but you're my friend. 2017, sitting at Golding's Church, that day when you repented and gave your life to me, you're my friend. And you'll be my friend for all eternity. Praise be to God. King Rehoboam was a loser, he lost a kingdom. In three days. But you can win a kingdom. Maybe not win. The win is a wrong word. You can be part of a kingdom. That Christ has won. For you. In three seconds. Lord. Have mercy on me. A sinner. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that we can learn so much. These things, these things were written for our learning. So through endurance and the encouragement 
that comes from the scriptures, we might have hope. And Lord, I pray that this morning you might give hope to every man and woman and young person here today. Hope, oh God, that they will know that their sins are cleansed and forgiven, that you have become their friend and their confidant, that you are a one who will carry them all the days of their lives. God Almighty, hear our cry. Soften our hardened hearts. Make us those, Lord God, who stand at the crossroads and ask a question. Where is the ancient past? May we ask that question, where is the good way? For Lord, we want to walk in your way. And we ask this in Jesus' name.